Alrighty. So that's the end of the announcements. Unfortunately, today you don't get to be rid of me because uh, I get to bring the word as well today. So I'm really, really excited to be able to do that with you tonight. Um, I was talking to someone this week and they said, so uh, I heard you're preaching. Are you excited? And I said, yes. They said, are you going to nail it out of the park? And I said, well, uh, that might be a bit ambitious, uh, especially when, when I'm, I'm like, there's Ed and there's Chad and then there's me, okay? And so he, he said, it's okay. You don't have to worry about that. Those guys are the big leads. All you need to do is just simply move the grandstands in and you're for sure going to hit it out of the park. So we're going to move the grandstands in a bit tonight and uh, we're going to go from there. Is this working okay? Am I feeling a little squirrely? We're good? Okay. We got, we got the sound guy guru on the back and, I'm, and the sound guy up here and we're still struggling. So, we have been working through a series that we've entitled the I Am series, okay, where we've been exploring the I Am statements that Jesus makes about himself in the Gospel of John. Uh, the, the world we live in has all sorts of things to say about who Jesus is, uh, what he's done. Uh, unfortunately, many of these things are ill-informed. But Jesus shows up and he actually makes some of his own declarations about who he is. And so the purpose of this series has been to spend some time, oh, I like this, this is nice and intimate. Uh, it's been to spend some time uh, exploring not, not necessarily the things that Jesus is doing or has done, but just who he is. Uh, I think we oftentimes get caught up uh, marveling in his gifts, uh, the, the signs and wonders that he does, which are all really good things, um, but we miss the fact that we can rest completely in, in not what he does, but in who he is alone. We can find full satisfaction, full completion in who Christ Jesus is without his gifts. Uh, and, and so his gifts to him, to us rather, they are, they're incredible, right? They are immeasurable uh, and we have much to be thankful for. But it's the gazing upon the person of Christ that brings true transformation. And so over the past six weeks, uh, with a few breaks, we've been looking at a few of these different uh, I am statements, uh, such as I, Jesus says, I am the Alpha, the, and the, the Omega. I am the vine. I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. Uh, and what's really remarkable about these claims is that they don't, they don't stand alone. So it's not that he, he shows up uh, and just out of nowhere says, hey, I am all of these things. You better believe me. Uh, but rather that, that all of his statements are actually fulfillment uh, of Old Testament prophecies, predictions, um, and different foreshadowings that we see of the person of Jesus. Regardless of that, though, these are bold claims, aren't they? Um, can you imagine someone in your friend circle or, or maybe a sibling coming to you and, and after, so not, not like when they're young, but after a, a good portion of their life going, I am the risen Christ. I am Jesus. I, I am going to rule this world. I, I can't even imagine how, well, like I didn't have any brothers, but if, my, if I had a brother and they came up to me and said that, it would like, it would totally not rub me the right way. And so uh, it's no wonder that James, the half-brother of Jesus, for the, uh, the, the, the majority of Jesus' time on earth, he actually didn't believe in Jesus as the Savior. He really, really struggled with that. And it wasn't until after uh, Jesus' death and resurrection that, that James said, hey, I think I, can, I think I can get on board this, with this one. Death and resurrection. Not too many guys have done that. We'll, uh, we'll hop on the ship this time. Um, and so it's, uh, it, it is a bold claim. And I think what's even more interesting is that Jesus... Is, is not just claiming to be capable of, of showing you the way. Uh, he's not just claiming to know the vine, but he's actually claiming to be the way. Uh, he's the embodiment of all of these things. And I think that 
in and of itself is huge. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. Uh, he says this about this claim, these claims that Jesus is making. He says, One cannot say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg. I love that comparison. Who would ever compare someone to a poached egg? Or else he is the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man is, was, either this man was and is, sorry, the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as demons, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. And so then, Jesus must either be the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, or he's just a freaking crazy dude. And so today, I want to explore a piece of text in John chapter 10, where among other things, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now, interestingly enough, last time I was up here uh, teaching and preaching in this capacity, we actually, I actually preached out of John 10 as well, but it was on something totally different. Uh, we were working through a series on abundant life in Christ. Uh, what I think this says, and what I think is really cool, is this doesn't say Ryan can only preach out of John 10. That's not why we're here. But it says that each time we, we revisit the same passage of Scripture, we can pull something new and exciting out of it, new and fresh and, and correct, might I add. It's not that Scripture's changing. It's not that we're tweaking it, but rather that there's so much packed into the words of Jesus that each time we revisit it, uh, there's something new and fresh for us. Uh, I think that is really exciting. So we are going to explore Jesus as our good shepherd. I think... You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of us maybe feel like uh, this, this truth of Jesus as our good shepherd is kind of a, it's something we know, right? We know about it. We've heard it for years, especially like if you've been going to church for a long time, uh, without a doubt, as long as you didn't go to church in a warehouse like this, without hallways or children's rooms, um, you, you probably walk down these hallways lined with murals, right? Bright blue sky, uh, wonderful looking Jesus with flowing long hair and uh, what would now be considered a really trendy beard. Um, and, and, and he's got kids on his lap and he's got a staff. Uh, and, and that is Jesus, the good shepherd. We, we have that just rammed down our throats right from day one. And so I think lots of us have known about Jesus as a good shepherd for a long time. But I want to propose to you that just because you know Jesus as a good shepherd doesn't mean that you know him as your good shepherd. Uh, the other day, my wife Sarah and I, we were talking about how uh, I was going to be up here preaching this evening and how I had to find someone to do sound. And, and a lot of our sound volunteers are actually either uh, away, so we have Julian and Nathan who are in Malaysia doing some missionary work, or just unavailable, and how I actually scheduled Pastor Chad to do sound tonight, uh, which is awesome. Many of you might not know, Pastor Chad's a closet sound nerd, and uh, really thankful to have him back there tonight. So when I said, oh, I'm going to schedule Chad to do sound, she said to me, oh, well, I could do sound. And I said, oh, really? <laughs> she said, well, sure, I know a thing or two about sound. Um, like, uh, monitors. I know that there's monitors. And I know that uh, you're on the stage and that you use microphones. And 
isn't gain something, gain something you do? And I said, yeah, it's pretty good. You're doing not too bad. Okay. Um, uh, and sound, sound. I know about sound. And I said, oh, good. Back to sound. All right. So I said, that's really, really nice, babe, that you know so many things about sound. But I said, I'm just not convinced that when I actually put you behind the soundboard that anything's going to work. I'm not convinced that you can actually do sound as much as you know a few things about sound. So in the same way, I'm sure a few of you in this room know about Jesus as a good shepherd. But let me maybe propose to you and challenge you that you might not actually know him as your good shepherd. Or maybe you just need a refreshing. So if you have a Bible today, you can open it to John 10. We're going to start in verse 10 and read. If you don't, you can follow behind me on the screen. Here's what it says. It says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Here's the statement. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. And the man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And just as the father knows me, I know the father and lay down my life for the sheep. That's good news. Uh, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. I'm gonna stop there. Let's, uh, why, don't, why don't we pray just as we dive in here? Lord God, we, um, we know that we can't gain understanding uh, without your grace. We just pray that uh, you would make this text come alive. God, that you would reveal anew to us the, the truth of you being our good shepherd. God, that you would take this Sunday school truth and make it uh, something fresh for us tonight. Um, we know there is so much truth and hope in your gospel. Uh, we just pray that we would rest in that tonight. God, we love you. Pray this in your name. Amen. All right. We're like at least a quarter of the way there. How are you guys doing? With me? All right. Here's the thing. So this passage of scripture we've read, it's about Jesus. But it's not the only one. Uh, when we look at the entirety of the Bible, the entire thing is actually the narrative of Jesus. And so when we read through the Old Testament, uh, it really is just a, a bunch of glimpses, predictions, uh, and, and signs about this coming king. The Old Testament isn't just a story about God's wrath and him slaying people. Uh, it, it's actually a story that foreshadows the hope of God, the hope that he's going to provide in Jesus. Uh, and so that's, that's what it's about. It's not about you. It's not about your problems. It's not about God's plans for your problems. It's about Jesus, which fortunately happens to be a few of those things. So I want to start by looking at a few areas in the Old Testament where, where we actually see this foreshadowing of Jesus coming as the good shepherd. And I think it's good to look at this so you know that I'm not just spewing this all off, but that there's actually some, uh, it's not from the book of Ryan, we're in the, the book of the Lord. So uh, first we're going to look at David. I'm sure many of us are familiar with David, uh, the shepherd boy who slayed the giant. Uh, he took care of his father's sheep and, and later went on to rule uh, over Israel. And so in 2 Samuel 5 2, it says, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you 
who led us out and brought us in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be the shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. And so David wasn't only a a shepherd uh, for his dad's flock, um, but he actually went on to be uh, this this ruler over God's nation, the people of Israel. Uh, And what I love about this text here is right at the end, it, it uses this word prince, and this word prince really shows that there is going to be a coming king. David isn't the king over Israel. In the kingdom of God, he is the prince, and there's a need for a king. Similarly, in Moses, or similarly looking at Moses, in Psalm 77, 20, it says this about him. It says, you led your people like a flock by the hands of Moses and Aaron. And so um, here again, Moses was one of those characters in the Old Testament that, that really was a shepherd of the people of, of God. But you see, neither David nor Moses was, was the be-all, end-all shepherd. Uh, in, in their humanity, in their weakness, they actually pointed to the need for a perfect shepherd, for a divine shepherd, uh, and that shepherd is Jesus Christ. And so as we dive into this text, I really want to look at, at two main pieces to it, okay? Uh, we have the sheep. That's us. Then we have the shepherd, and that's Jesus. We don't want to get those two confused, or else we're, we're going to leave really puffed up. That's not good. Um, so we're, we're going to explore a bit about the sheep, but I don't want to spend too much time in sheepland because, well, why talk about ourselves when we can talk about Jesus? But I think there are a few things in, in this text about us as sheep that are helpful for us gaining a greater understanding of, of Jesus as our good shepherd. Uh, and so I don't know if, if many of you have any experience with sheep, um, but they're n- never quite as white as they seem to be in the children's books or on TV, right? They're actually pretty dirty, smelly, gross animals who they, they roll around and they got sticks. And uh, it's, it's not until their wool uh, goes through a refinement process that it's actually like the beautiful thing that we, that we wear, right? Um, and, and on top of that, you know, they're just not super intelligent animals. They, they are animals that need to be led, okay? If you leave a, a, a flock of sheep in a pasture, real green, they'll eat it till it's brown, and there'll be another one right next door, but they just don't have the intuition to actually make the move, and so instead, they'll just call it quits. It's a pretty bad, pretty bad game move, if I would uh, say so myself. Uh, and so, uh, for me, it, it, I don't think it's too much of a coincidence that God would make this comparison between sheep who need to be led to us as humans who need to be led. Uh, we're just not fully adequate on our own, if we're, if we're willing to be honest with ourselves, okay? Uh, but, but talking about inadequacy isn't really that popular this day, is it? Maybe I'll rephrase this. Talking about our own inadequacy isn't really that popular. Uh, we're pretty darn good at talking about other people's inadequacy, aren't we? Uh, do any of you guys own a TV or, or listen to the CBC radio? Have you caught any of the presidential, U.S. presidential election debates? Some of us are really good at pointing out each other's inadequacy. Some of us have more inadequacies than others, but um, it, it's something that, that our culture thrives on. But I think realizing our own inadequacy is an important part of recognizing the goodness of Jesus as our shepherd. Um, But unfortunately, we aren't real good at at self-recognizing. At least I know I'm not. Um, 
I really love my breakfast in the morning. I don't know, do I have any other breakfast people out there? Cool, at least a few of you. Man, I love at least two bowls of cereal, a banana, and if I can squeeze it in, a bowl of oatmeal as well. Like, I am all about breakfast. Uh, Unfortunately, my wife is not all about breakfast, uh, but she still likes to eat breakfast. And so uh, the first, like, six months of our marriage, well, the first, let me start this way, the first week of our marriage, we ate breakfast together. And then the six months following that, we didn't. It wasn't that she didn't eat breakfast. We just didn't do it together. Uh, it, it didn't really matter to me because I needed my breakfast, okay? And so I would pour my two bowls. And uh, like I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how much of a rush we're in. I'm getting breakfast. I won't shower. I will eat breakfast before I shower. Uh, and so I would sit down and just wolf down my bowls of cereal. And then we'd get in the car and we'd go and boom and done. And, uh, but after like six months, I, I, I went to her one morning and said, hey, why, why don't you ever eat breakfast with me? Like, and she said, well, I, you know, like, I'd love to eat breakfast with you, but I just can't stand waking up and not being able to hear myself think over your loud chewing as you eat breakfast. And I went, oh, makes total sense. Um, so, I mean, following that, she, she went on to give me a smaller spoon in hopes that I would maybe put less on it and it would be a little bit more tolerable. We haven't really made that much good progress. But so here's the thing. See, I needed her to actually tell me that I needed some help because I didn't realize it. I just wanted breakfast. Now, we aren't super good at self-realizing. Uh, and, and the reality is, is we in and of ourselves, we're inadequate, okay? And, and um, this isn't a, a you thing. You are not inadequate on our own. This is a we, like the human race thing, okay? This is part of our human nature that was, was kind of gifted to us through Adam, through sin. Uh, and so... I'm sure you know this real well. If you have a niece or a nephew, uh, maybe a younger sibling, uh, maybe just a young kid, uh, you'll know that you didn't need to teach them to talk back to you. You didn't need to teach them to hoard their own toys. You didn't need to teach them to, to poop at the most inconvenient times and then proceed to like find a way to smear it everywhere. I, this, is, this is true. I came across a Facebook status this week, and this is what it said. The moment when your child doesn't have a diaper on for five minutes and manages to poop all over the carpet and then sticks it in his hand. Wow, the stuff mothers deal with. It's true. No one taught him to do that. No one taught him. Uh, And so let me propose to you that in order for us to be able to see Jesus as our good shepherd, not just as a fact, but to truly realize his goodness, we must first realize our need. Um, We're going to move on, though. The emphasis in this passage isn't on the sheep. It's not on our stupidity or our need. Uh, It's on the good shepherd. And I'm excited to celebrate with you God's deep and abiding care for us. uh, Because sometimes it's hard for us to truly believe that he actually believes what he does about us. Isn't it? So we're going to turn back to the text uh, in John 10.10. And I, I want you to read this time or listen this time really thinking about the characteristics of the shepherd. It says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. 
just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and lay down my life for the sheep. There's a lot of rich truth in here. I, I think there's so much that we can't really comprehend it fully, but there are a few things that I think we can pull out of it. So the, the first is this. He distinctly points out, and, and actually spends like the good chunk of this, saying, look, I'm not a hired hand. I'm not like a hired hand. Uh, Jesus watches his sheep with great personal investment. Why? Well, because they are his own. So a, a couple years ago, uh, I was looking into buying a house, all right? And um, so I, I inquired with a friend and uh, actually got a hold of a realtor uh, who he recommended. And um, we, we went out in his swanky car and drove by a bunch of houses and looked at a bunch of houses. And um, well, we'll just say I, the budget wasn't super big, so we did most of our looking in Rutland. Uh, and as we drove by these houses, um, we... Uh, the, the, we would drive by and he would go, okay, there's, there's a difference between renters and owners. Uh, and he would drive by and go, yep, renter, owner, renter, renter, owner. And it was kind of terrible, like a little bit, because I don't think it's quite that simple. And yet there are some indicators uh, between renters and owners that, that kind of tell a little bit, okay? Uh, you see, when, when you drive by and... Uh, the yard's not taken care of, and the car's falling apart, and there's like the last year of newspaper just uh, covering the front steps, and there's more dog poop in the front yard than there is lawn. Uh, you kind of wonder, does that person own that place? Do they, do they really like, take care of things like that that are their own? Uh, and usually the answer is no. When, when, when someone owns something, there is a whole other level of authority, of responsibility, of ownership that comes over it. Uh, and so now... As a landlord, uh, and I have tenants, I have really great tenants, by the way. They, they rule. They're awesome. Uh, but even so, they don't quite take care of the place the way that I might. Um, I, I've been told I'm a bit of a neat freak and might have some uh, organizational, yeah, it's just, uh, apparently I'm a bit over the top. You can talk to my wife about that one. Um, but I think even, even ruling that out, there's just a level of ownership that's not there. So... How's it all tied together? I think Jesus here is saying, uh, I, I am, I'm not just your, uh, your renter. I'm, I'm actually, I have dominion over you. You are mine. You see, as, as Christians, Christ sees us as his beloved. Uh, he's not going to take the option out on us when things get tough. He's not going to trash the rental unit. Uh, he is here to save us from the wolf, from, from the greatest enemy of our souls, Satan, sin, and death. So how did he do that? Well, he laid down his life for you and I, that we might have abundant life. You see, when, when Jesus is calling himself the good shepherd, he's really talking about provision, about care, guidance, and he's saying, when it comes to the enemy, you are eternally secure in me. I will conquer him once and for all. He isn't saying that, that every little squirrely problem that you have in your life is going to be gone. He's not saying you're not going to experience hardship. Um, but he's saying, in the scope of eternity, your soul is safe with me. And I think, first and foremost, this text is a text about the gospel. You see, Jesus, as our good shepherd, he goes to the cross to be the propitiation for our sins. And now if you aren't a Christian here today, this isn't going to make sense uh, because it's churchy language. Uh, see, we want to intentionally make space for you not to be a Christian here. That's okay. We want you to explore. We're just glad you're here. We're not perfect. 
Hope, that you, hope you can tell that. Um, but, but here's what it looks like. I really want to simply explain the gospel. And if you've heard this a hundred times, maybe it will become fresh and new for you today. So Jesus comes and, and he lives the perfect life, the life that, that we should have lived. And then he goes to the cross uh, and dies the perfect death, despite the fact that he was without sin. He was blameless. And yet he's crucified. And in that moment, he dies for the sins of the entire world. Not just the sins that were at that time, but the past sins, the present sins, and the sins that you and I are going to commit when we leave this place today. And what does that do? That leaves us blameless. That leaves us blameless. As Christians, we are seen blameless because of the love and the blood of Christ. You know, I don't, I don't know what I don't know what your week was like, um, but if I was to think of a few words that describe mine, blameless would certainly not be at the top of the list. I think we could probably rewind to this morning and blameless still would not make the cut. Uh, And so technically speaking, Christ has declared you blameless and and the perfection of Christ has been imputed to you. It's pretty incredible. And so Christ, our, our good shepherd, he's taken care of our enemy, Satan, sin, and death for, for all. He's taken the teeth of the wolf and clamped them shut, knocked them out, done whatever. And does this mean that you and I don't uh, live and, and struggle with sin? Certainly not. But this means that, that our eternal security, it's done, it's finished. And in the eyes of the only person's opinion who really matters, we're blameless. I think that's amazing. And what's really cool is it doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, okay, you're clean, you're good, later. But, but he says, you know what, I, I got you. Now, he didn't only save us from that death, but he saved us into a glorious life. And with the guidance of his word, his Holy Spirit. In, in verse 14, he says, I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. That is incredible. Jesus is saying that you and I, we we can have the same connection that I have with God the Father. This is the most perfect, satisfying, spotless relationship that there ever has been and ever will be. And and we have that opened up to us. That is an incredible, incredible truth. And I think one that we need to to let set in. And so uh, I I just love what what A.W. Tozer says about this connection here. Uh, He's a real smart old dude. He says, An infinite God can give all of himself to each of his children. He does not distribute himself so that each may have a part, but to each one he gives all of himself as fully as if there were no others. Wow. But you might be sitting here and going, So what? What do I do with that? You know, I just finished a four-year degree in business. I took a schwack load of accounting classes. And I can't tell you how many times I left and went, so what? Why does it matter? It's all useful, good information, but why does it matter? Uh, I think it matters because I think our response to this text is so important. I think it matters. And, and there are generally three ways that people will respond to the gospel. Uh, two of them uh, are they just aren't awesome. And one of them, one of them is right. And so we're going to look at those real quick as we close up. I can actually have the band join me up here. We're, uh, you guys have made it. You did it. Uh, so we're going to look at these three ways that people generally respond to the gospel. It is it's so interesting. So the first is this. We might go, you know what? That's great, but no way, not me. 
I can't do it, it's, it's not for me. And usually this comes out of uh, some sort of feeling that, that we might have out the grace of God, that you might have done something or maybe you're doing something that you're like, man, God, I can't touch God or God can't touch me. Uh, I've done too much bad for him to hang with me. Uh, you, you, you feel morally disqualified for some reason or another from the flock of Jesus. You hear what he's saying, but you can't get past that nagging feeling that, that just says, God doesn't, Jesus doesn't hang out with people like you, people that sin the way that I do. I think this is the, the hardest one because I think even as Christians, we struggle with this, right? Who, who here doesn't feel like there isn't a chapter that we couldn't have rewritten, a play that we couldn't have redone? I know for me, there's certainly lots of those. But the truth of the gospel is that you are not beyond the grace of God. Isaiah 1.18 says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. This is a good truth. See, if I came up to Martin here and said, Hey, man, I want to give you a million dollars. Martin would likely look at me and go, Wow, that sounds real good. Like, what's next? Where do I sign up? Right? But, but this type of response to the gospel is a lot more like going, yeah, man, that's, I really appreciate that. Seems really, really nice. But, you see, I'm just not set up to handle the one mil. Like, I just can't take it in. There's no room in my tax-free savings account. I'm going to get dinged on capital gains. Like, I just can't make it work. Like, so I really appreciate the, the, the nice gesture, but I'm just struggling to handle the 20K from Tim Hortons that I'm getting, Okay. That's foolishness. No no one would ever do that. You might take the million and spend it on foolish things, but you would not take it. And I think in some ways, this is what we do to the cross. We go, I can't handle that grace. I've done too much bad. I'm not ready enough yet. I haven't cleaned up my life. I got to do that first. I got to mop up a few things and then we'll see. And Christ says, no. He says, come as you are. He says, I will make you white as snow. You can't out-sin the cross. That's our first response. Our second is this. We might go, well, of course he loves me. Like, as if the God of the universe is indebted to all of your good things. Wow, I am so awesome. You know, I don't think anyone thinks that on the surface, but what we like to do is compare ourselves to others, don't we? It is so easy to go, yeah, like, I'm not that great, but compared to the idiot Tom over there, doing okay. But if you think you're a good person because you hang with a bunch of idiots, you're wrong. It doesn't work that way. See, just because in the economics of American politics it works that way, the kingdom of God, the economy of God is far different. God doesn't want your false righteousness. He wants your imperfections so that he can make it perfect. The last is this, the third way. Psalm 37 37 rather, verse 3 says this. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Dwell in the land. You see, we aren't good at dwelling. Uh, We live in a culture that loves efficiency and productivity and dwelling are neither of those things. See, when we dwell in that, that truth and God's promises that we're eternally secure, you don't need approval from anyone else. There's a joy and a thankfulness that comes out of that. 
a joy and a thankfulness that, that can't be explained. You see, he doesn't guarantee you safety in the day-to-day, but he guarantees you eternal safe pasture. You see, the call of the good shepherd is one that is of relationship with him. And so I wanna encourage you, don't define God by the meekness of your circumstances. Why don't you go about defining your circumstances by the character of God? See, when you change your lens, you change everything. You shouldn't feel the weight of trying to be perfect. Rather, you should melt into the perfection of Christ and live gladly in his perfection. I want to end with a quote by Timothy Keller. Uh, He says this. I think it's so great. It says, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness and it fortifies any difficulty that life can throw at us. We have a good shepherd, a good shepherd that went before you and will go beyond you. Why don't you stand with us? We're, that's good, I know it's awkward. Why don't you stand with us? We're gonna close and we're gonna worship in response to this truth. I think the natural outflowing of a realization of who God is and what he's done for you is worship. That's all it can be. And so why don't you bow your heads with me as we pray. God, we just pray that you would give us a new, fresh realization of you as our good shepherd, not just a good shepherd. Lord, we pray that you would just cultivate a relationship, a yearning for a relationship. We pray that we'd be able to rest in our imperfection because of your perfection. Lord, you are far too good for us. You are far too good to us. We're so thankful for what you've done and thankful for who you are. We just pray that you'd stir in us thankfulness, stir up in us thankfulness. We love you.